Welcome back to another episode of You Have My Interest, the show that helps you make smart moves with your money by giving you tips, tricks, and tools to help navigate your wealth journey. I'm your host, Evelyn Clark, Director and Finance Broker at Everland. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which we are recording and you are listening today. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode. Today we have a Q&A episode, and I've got some questions that have come in from our listeners in regards to last week's episode on debt consolidation. So we're going to go through those together. But before we do that, I thought we would just jump into a little bit of an interest rate update to give you a bit of an overview on where the market is currently sitting based on what type of loan you're looking to take out, or if you are potentially even just looking at your current loan facilities, what type of interest rate you may be able to consider. One of the big updates that I wanted to share with you is that we've seen three or four lenders come out over the last few weeks now, dropping their fixed interest rates. Now, this is really fantastic news because we have not seen a decline in the fixed interest rates, particularly the one and two fixed interest rates, pretty much since the bank started putting up the uh, variable rates off the back of the cash rate increases about 18 months ago or so now. So what that's actually starting to show us is that potentially we have hit that top of that rate market and we may not be expecting too many more, if any, more rate rises. So it is really good news. We did see a couple of um, I guess, low and competitive three and five-year fixed rates come out from some of the banks maybe about six months or so ago. In my opinion, that was more so to entice people to lock in their their rates for a longer period of time. But typically when you're looking at the fixed rates, what that actually demonstrates to consumers, the fixed rates is effectively based on what margin the banks can make from the borrowed funds because you've got to remember that they're not just pulling those funds out of thin air. They're actually borrowing those funds from somewhere and then passing that on to the borrower, being myself, yourself, et cetera. And from that, the banks need a minimum return. So if the banks are putting up their rates for one, two, three, four, five years, that means that over that period of time, that's based on the return that they would expect to receive on those products. If the rates are starting to come back down, that would tend to allude to the fact that borrowing is now starting to become a little bit cheaper short term for the banks, which is fantastic. So, I mean, of course, no one knows exactly what's going to happen, but given that we have not seen a downwards trend in the fixed rates for quite some time, I think this is actually really positive and it'll be interesting to see what the next RBA cash rate uh, announcements do have in store. So, In terms of looking at the overall interest rate market, I'm going to give you some really rough figures to think about, more so from a variable rate perspective. At the moment, if you are looking at taking out an owner-occupied loan under an 80% loan-to-value ratio, you can expect your rate to be somewhere probably around the 5.8 to 6.2% mark. If you are taking out an investment loan, principal and interest repayments, these both are, principal and interest repayments under an 80% lend again, you'll probably tend to expect that the rates will be about half a percent higher on a investment product over an owner-occupied. So in terms of investment, you're probably looking anywhere from starting at that 6.2 to 6.3 right up to sort of 6.8, I would say at the moment for principal and interest. When you start to jump to interest-only products, you're probably adding on another 0.3 to 0.5 on top of what I've just mentioned. 
And when you're looking at borrowing over 80%, so in that 80 to 90% range, that's where the banks will also increase the interest rates more significantly as well. So that's that gives you a bit of an idea on why it's difficult to just say as a blanket rule, what is the best interest rate out there at the moment? Because it completely depends on how much you're borrowing, what your loan to value ratio is, what type of loan it is, whether it's an owner-occupied or an investment, whether it's principal and interest repayments or interest-only repayments, and also what type of product. If it's a basic variable or a um, variable with an offset, sometimes there will be differences in rates there as well. So there is quite a spectrum, but that should just give you a little bit of an indication. And if your rates are way outside of the ballpark, then that's when you know that it's time to look at um, potentially getting those reviewed or even refinancing. Before you even engage in someone to refinance, the first thing that I would highly encourage people to do is to give their existing lender a call and to speak to the retentions team to obtain the best possible rate that they can do there. What I'll do is I'll give you a little bit of a script that you may be able to use if that is you and you're in that situation, particularly if you are happy with your lender and you're not really wanting to actually leave, but more so just get a rate review done. So what we would typically suggest that you do is have a look online, first of all, with your current bank as to what they're offering their new to bank clients, because you'll typically find that existing clients that have been with that lender for a period of time may not have as good interest rates as what new to bank clients can be offered. So the first thing that I would suggest you do is just have a quick squeeze online as to what they're offering for your particular product. So don't go comparing investment with owner oc <laughs> make sure that you've, if you've got an owner occupied product you're actually looking at the new to bank rates for owner occupied then what you want to do is give the bank a call ask to speak to their retentions team and let them know that you're seeking a rate review and based on the rates that you've seen online you would like to be given new to bank rates as you believe that your rates are you know far higher than that or whatever sort of word you want to say you can then go as far to say, you can then go to, as far as to say, I've also been speaking to other lenders and have been approved for X rate. And if I do not get that rate matched, I will be refinancing. Do not have an issue with telling a bank that you'll be refinancing because sometimes, unless you're speaking to the discharge team or the retentions team, they won't take you seriously. Now, a reminder also, this is really only going to be for variable rates because you won't get a rate review done on a fixed rate until you're coming off fixed rate. You always want to be aware of what your potential variable rate is coming off the fixed rate as well. So that's just a little script that you can use and don't be afraid to push them. Uh, on our end, we actually rate review all of our clients every six months behind the scenes. So all of our variable rate clients are constantly getting updated with um, the best possible rates that the lender can provide for their specific rate at that time. Now, we don't always get rate reductions, but we have had some significant benefits for clients that have had, you know, one to 2% reduced off their rate over maybe a one year or an 18 month period where the rates have jumped up significantly and maybe their loan to value ratio has come down and we've been able to demonstrate that to the lender as well. Those types of things can definitely help. But it's important to be on the ball with rate reviews because if you don't push the bank, you don't know what your rate's doing behind the scenes. And if you don't ask, you definitely won't get with them. So we recommend every six months um, if you're not doing so already. And just pop it in your calendar as a recurring reminder if that's something that will help you out. 
but definitely set aside, you know, maybe around 30 minutes or so um, because you could be stuck on a hold time for a little bit of time. (laughs) So let's jump into today's questions. Last week, we did an episode on debt consolidation. We spoke about what is debt consolidation and what debt consolidation can do to assist if you do have multiple debts. But we also spoke about how to do it correctly if you are going to go down that path. And then an alternative method for paying off debts without going the debt consolidation path. We did also give you a couple of tips on paying off your home loans faster as well with making fortnightly or weekly repayments. This week, we're going to jump into some listener questions on that topic. So let's get into it. The first question I've got here is, I've heard about debt consolidation loans, but I'm not sure if it's the right choice for me. Can you explain how it works and when it makes sense to consider consolidating your debts? This is a great question because it is not necessarily something that everyone should consider in my opinion, and you do need to do it the right way. So I would strongly encourage you to definitely go back to last week's episode and listen to that end to end because I do go into a fair bit of detail there. But the general premise is debt consolidation effectively refers to when you have multiple debts, and typically we're talking about consumer debts, so credit cards or personal loans, and you've potentially got a home loan as well, you may be eligible to bundle in the credit cards and personal loans into a higher home loan to pay out all of those debts. Therefore, you've only got one ongoing loan left to pay. And The benefit of that is a home loan interest rate is going to be a lot lower than a 20% credit card interest rate or 10% personal loan interest rate. So the benefit of that is that you are getting home loan rates on your personal debts and it helps you to pay it off faster. However, the big caveat to that is if you do not continue to make your repayments at an accelerated rate on the portion of the debt that you have consolidated, you will actually end up paying that debt back over a home loan term which is typically 20, 25, or 30 years. And therefore, the compound interest that you pay over that period can actually mean that you pay far more interest and repayments that you would have on the consolidated loan than what you would have if you just paid off the credit card by yourself. So that's where you need to consider as to whether or not it's going to be suitable for you. You need to have discipline in paying off the debt consolidated portion faster if you do decide to take that out. All right, second question. This one says, I have multiple high interest credit cards and a personal loan. What are some strategies or tips for paying these off faster, especially if I don't qualify for debt consolidation? So if you don't have something that you can bundle your consolidated debts into, such as a home loan, or you don't qualify to get a new personal loan that would encapsulate all of those high interest credit cards and the existing personal loan, This is also where I introduced in last week's episode the snowball method of paying off your debts faster. So you effectively line up all of your debts from smallest limit to highest limit, write out the minimum repayments that are required to keep all of those ongoing and under their um, limit so that you don't get behind on any, commit to making the minimum repayments on every single one, but then look at the first loan, which is effectively going to have the lowest limit outstanding or the lowest balance outstanding. And see how much you can commit to paying off that on a weekly basis in addition to the minimum repayments. And what you do is you just hammer that first debt as hard as you can until it's paid off. Then you take the minimum repayment that you were already repaying on the first debt plus the additional amount that you committed to and you put both of those two repayments onto the second highest debt and so on and so forth. So you basically are committing to, that's why it's called the snowball technique, 
because once you've paid off one and you then roll those repayments into the second, all of a sudden you have started to hit a trajectory of paying off the loans faster than you would if you just kept making the minimum repayments on all of them. So that's definitely one I would strongly consider. If you were able to qualify for a debt consolidation loan um, and it was more beneficial to do so, for example, if you had multiple high interest credit cards that were all maxed out, then what it might be beneficial for you is to create a new home loan split for the debt consolidation. So let's say you had two credit cards at $10,000 each and a personal loan at $20,000 each. That's $40,000 in debt that you want to consolidate. So you get a new home loan split for $40,000. That pays out the three credit cards and personal loan. And then from there, I would commit to paying whatever the minimum repayments were on those three debts on that new $40,000 loan split and pay that off at the minimum repayments until it's closed and then close that account. That's another way that I would do it so that you're not extending the life of the loan if you do roll it into a mortgage. All right, the next question is, is it possible to consolidate different types of debt like credit card debt and student loans into one loan? And how does this affect the interest rates I'm paying? So it is possible with something like a student loan, that's probably not one I would really consider consolidating because typically student loans are only indexed at the inflation rate or the indexation rate each year. Now, over the last couple of years, that's actually been around 7%. So it has been pretty high, but still 7% indexation on a student loan is going to be cheaper than a credit card debt at about 20%, for example. So I don't know if I would really consider rolling those in. Um, and I guess this is probably a good time to say that this episode is not <laughs> financial advice. I'm just answering questions from my experience and giving you some tips and tricks that you can consider. In terms of how it affects the interest rates that you're paying, that's where you want to look at what is the indexation rate of the student loan now versus if I were to consolidate that, would that actually have a heightened interest rate? And also how much have you got owing on the student loan? Because um, again, if you've got a student loan with you know $100,000 owing versus only $2,000 owing, that will also affect your repayment amount. So think about that because with a student loan, your repayments effectively come out as a deduction from your payslips. So you're not physically paying that money back. It's definitely a different type of debt that needs to be very, very cautioned around considering consolidating. The next question is, I own a home with some equity. Should I consider a home equity loan for debt consolidation? And what are the risks involved in using my home as collateral? So we sort of answered this question before about the $40,000 debt consolidation loan. You can definitely do that if you've got equity in your home. Typically, the interest rate that you'll be given on that equity component is whatever the rate is applicable to your standard home loan, providing you're not above that 80% loan-to-value ratio. If you go above an 80% loan-to-value ratio with debt consolidation, you would also typically have to pay lenders mortgage insurance. So that's also a factor to consider. We may not want to actually do that. In terms of the risks involved, the biggest risk really for me is that if you're not disciplined in paying off that split at an accelerated rate, you run the risk of just letting that drop back down to its new minimum repayment on the home loan and then paying far more interest over the life of the loan. The risks outside of that aren't really too great in my opinion because it is a standard home loan and the default rates in Australia are extremely low for things like home loans. So it's unlikely that there would be too many more risks um, 
But if you were looking to sell the property, for instance, then you just need to make sure obviously there's enough equity in the property that once you've sold it, you still get out enough equity for your next purchase or whatever you're looking to do with it. And the last question is, are there any tax implications when it comes to debt consolidation or paying off debt faster? How does it affect my financial situation in the long run? So as for the tax implications, not really one that I can consider. It's definitely one to speak to with your accountant. Um, Typically in terms of tax implications, something like the student loan repayments, if that's not coming out of your payslip, could impact tax deductions or tax implications. And something like um, having investment loans, if you were to consolidate your debts into an investment loan, that's where you would need to be careful around your tax deductibility because it's highly unlikely that you took out those personal debts like the credit cards and the personal loan for the same investment purpose that you took out the investment property loan for. So be careful not to cross your wires there with debt consolidation and investment property loans, but definitely one to ask your accountant around. In terms of how it affects your financial situation in the long run, how to answer this? (laughs) Basically, I would say debt consolidation if you do it correctly and pay out those loans now um, or earlier by making additional repayments. So therefore you're paying it off in a shorter period of time than what you would have on a personal loan. Let's take a car loan, for example. If you had a seven-year car loan at a 10% or a 15% interest rate and you consolidated that into a home loan at a 6% interest rate and you were able to pay it off in half the amount of time, well, that's improving your financial situation in the long run Because after three or four years, you no longer have the car loan left. And therefore, that would mean that your borrowing capacity would be increased and your cash flow position will be better when you go to do whatever it is that you want to do financially after that point. So you can see how it does improve your financial situation in the long run, as long as you commit to paying it off. I hope you enjoyed those questions, those five short Q&As that we had just now in regards to debt consolidation. A lot about credit cards, a lot about uh, personal loans and home loans and consolidation using home equity. An important point I think that we did touch on is in regards to consolidation with investment properties and what to be aware of there, absolutely. Otherwise, we look forward to speaking to you in next week's episode where we have another guest speaker coming on board. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and have a great day. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of You Have My Interest. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. To find out more about how Everlend can help educate and empower you to achieve your goals with finance and property, just visit everlend.com.au forward slash podcast and book in a free discovery call.